Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Multi-Site Masters podcast. This is the podcast series that explores the art of leading and growing multi-site businesses, especially in the hospitality and retail sectors. So my name is Lee Sheldon and I'll be your host for today's episode. I'm also co-founder of the MMU Training and Development Consultancy, in which we're dedicated to helping managers achieve consistent operational excellence, leading to sustained superior performance. So welcome everyone to another episode of Multi-Site Masters. And today, yes, we're talking about operations, but operations with excellence. I think it's fair to say we've had a bit of an international flavor to some of our recent episodes. We've been over to Dubai with Tyrone Reed of Alabar Enterprises. We were over in the snows of Canada with Krista Koch at Hudson's Canada's Pub. And today, slightly warmer climate, we're visiting Orlando, Florida. Now, I think if you were to ask 100 people what they associate Orlando with, I'm going to put a guess out there that Walt Disney World is probably going to top that answer. And one of the questions that I know I get asked a lot is what brands do I think really deliver operational excellence again and again and again? For me, top of that list every time will be Disney. Disneyland, Walt Disney World. The Disney brand is synonymous around the world, and I think most people would say they deliver amazing customer experiences, amazing guest times, and they give operational excellence uh, a, a, a desire, to, a passion to make it happen every day. Well, today we are joined by Lee Cockrell, and he's a former executive vice president of operations for the Walt Disney World Resort in Florida. Uh, I think Lee was there for over 10 years, leading a cast of over 40,000 cast members. And of course, Walt Disney World is not just a theme park. There's actually four theme parks. There's two water parks, the entertainment and shopping facilities, and of course, over 20 hotels, plus all of the ancillary operations which go to support that massive operation that is Walt Disney World. Before Disney, Lee held various executive positions in hospitality and entertainment with Hilton, I think, for over eight years, and then with the Marriott Hotel Corporation for over 17 years before joining Disney in 1990. Since supposedly retiring, he's been a very busy man, writing some fantastic books, creating magic, the customer rules, and more recently, time management magic, and hosts his own weekly podcast, Creating Disney Magic, which if you're not already listening to, you must sign up to it. It's superb. So I am delighted to say hello to Lee. Welcome to Mastering Multisites. Hi there, Lee. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you. And of course, the fact that you've got the name Lee clearly sets you up. We, uh, we, we, have, we used to have a show in this country called The Two Ronnies. So today we're doing our own show, The Two Lees. So it's great <laughs> to have you here. Okay. Now, obviously, I've explained a little bit about your, your background, but perhaps would you start by telling us a little bit about your career today, maybe give us a sort of a 90-second potty history of some of the roles that you've had working with organizations such as Marriott and Hilton and, of course, Disney. Yeah, well, I got out of the Army uh, back in the 60s, and I went to work for Hilton in Washington, D.C. Uh, my first job was a banquet server. I was waiting on tables and banquets, and then I was a restaurant server, and then I got into a management training program and was in charge of the food and beverage control issues, the accounting. After that, I got went off to Chicago, did the same thing there. Then I got transferred to the Waldorf Astoria in New York, where I was the assistant food and beverage manager. 
ended up in Los Angeles as the director of food and beverage operations. And then I joined Marriott. And I started there as a restaurant manager and proceeded to go through all the ranks and uh, became uh, eventually vice president of food and beverage operations over 17 years. And I was general manager of one of the Marriott hotels at one time. And then I got recruited by Disney in 1990 to go to France and open Disneyland Paris. And I did that for three years. And then I came back to Orlando in charge of the hotels. And then I was promoted to executive vice president of all the operations, which I did for 10 years. And uh, that's kind of the quick uh, story. <laughs> and 17 years at Marriott before you moved to Disney. I had been with a, a previous company myself for 16 years. So it's a big change, isn't it, moving for an organization where you've been there for a long time. But I guess was it the pull of the Disney brand that, that made you make that leap? Or was it the opportunity to go to Europe and open up in Paris? I think both. Uh, I was kind of bored what I was doing. And uh, I wasn't sure when the next move would be. And of course, Disney was exciting. But my wife was really, the, I think the key was living in Paris. <laughs> and, <laughs> so yeah, it was a combination of things. Our son was in college by then. So we didn't have anything we had to worry about. We could go do what we wanted to do. And she said, Lee, let's go do it. Don't worry about the risk. You know, you you don't want to have regrets later. You could have lived in Paris, worked for Disney, and get paid. So, absolutely, we, uh, that's what we did, and it turned out great. So, but obviously, we're going to focus a lot on Disney. But before we do that, that 17 years in Marriott, is there one lesson, one thing that you took from that that you think has defined you as a as a leader, as a manager? Yeah, I got became very organized. I focused a lot on management, time management, and uh, at Marriott, you learn how to run the business, make a profit. Uh, everything matters to there too, attention to detail. Um, and uh, I learned good management skills there, how to manage my profit and loss statement, how to keep control of my payroll and my expenses and all of those kinds of things. So it was a good business learning that I could use yep. in any business, frankly. And you, I've heard you say in previous podcasts that it, the Marriott was in, in some respects the management piece for you. And then Disney, you saw as a leadership opportunity for you. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Well, yeah, I tell you, you know, I started out in Hilton, which in the old days in the 60s was like, uh, just do what you're told. Don't ask questions. So nobody's <laughs> interested in opinion. And uh, then I got to Marriott where it was very inclusive. We had two days off. Uh, they treated you really well. Uh, taught you the business and uh, I would say management was easy for me because I'm organized and disciplined and I like a lot of little details and keep track of them and I use systems to do that hmm. and but I never heard the word leadership you know nobody ever talked about that difference between management and leadership uh, that kind of part about how to how to be who you are hmm. are you trusted uh, do you uh, have the ability to make hard decisions, uh, have hard conversations, uh, be a good leader, set the pace, set, be a good role model, uh, behave the way you want your people to behave. And so that's where uh, I started to become aware of that is while I was in Marriott and started to adjust my style because I was very autocratic in the old days because I was insecure and thought that's the best way to keep people away from me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so yeah, I uh, started to change and I started to learn that I had to be a good manager and a good leader if I wanted to get really big results and long-term results and be successful. And so uh, when I went to Disney, I had the chance to be a new person because nobody knew me there and I could leave yeah. all that 
asked at Marriott of kind of being autocratic and pushing people around and abusing my uh, probably position and title. So yeah, I went through a, I went through a change and it was for good. It was for the good. Yeah. It's interesting because I've often thought that as a leader, you can either create that culture of compliance, which is that very autocratic, very directive style, or commitment, which is much more about engagement, where people want to deliver the standard. Um, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I practiced both. I practiced the one where I was autocratic and kind of frightened people and made them do it because I told them to do it. And uh, I went through quite a change at where I would say the last 20 years of my career, uh, I understood the importance of bringing people on board, making sure everybody knew they mattered, trying to create an environment and a culture where everybody wakes up in the morning, wants to come to work, not have to come where they're respected and included and involved and listened to, their opinion counts, they get training, they get development. Oh yeah, absolutely. In the end, you know, when you're autocratic, they only do a good job while you're there. <laughs> so uh, when you're more inclusive and make people respect everybody and focus on everybody and know that everybody matters, then people take care of the job, whether you're in bed or whether you're out of town or because they want to, not because they have to. They're proud yeah. of what they do. Same old story, treat people right and they'll take care of the customer. I mean, that's the name of the game. And I, you know, from the outside looking in, Disney is clearly an organization that is focused on creating a culture of commitment, of engagement. If I'm, if I'm a listener to this podcast and I'm working or I'm running a company or I work in a company where actually that's what we strive to be, but we're very much directive at the moment, but we, we want to drive that commitment. What could I do? What should I do to foster that culture of commitment and engagement in your your view? Yeah, well, I would tell every company they could do exactly what Disney does. The three best things Disney does is we hire better. We're more careful. Uh, we, we are very clear about our expectations for performance. It's hmm. uh, so kind of the happiest place on earth or else. We want you to understand <laughs> we're in a we're putting on a show. You have a part in that show, and you need to play that role in that show. And uh, I kind of laugh sometimes. I say, you don't have to be happy to work at Disney. You got to act happy. That's yep. what act, that's when you put on a show. And uh, so we do that. We hire better, better people. Then we train. We train better. We train them. We test them. And then we enforce the training. So we get consistency. And uh, that's what the customer wants. They want consistency. They don't want it different every time they come. And sometimes good service, sometimes bad. And the last thing we do is create an environment and a culture where everybody matters and we treat them that way. And uh, I always tell people, if you want to remember what this is, it's uh, hire them right, train them right, and treat them right. Then <laughs> uh, you'll have the exact thing. And part of that is getting rid of people in your company that don't belong there. It's one of those hard things people put off. Every company's got them. Every company knows who they are. They're not dealing with it. And when you have average people, you have more of an average company. You have great people. So, that's uh, you, you got to deal with these hard things in life if you're going to be a leader. Yeah, I have to say uh, again, if people ask me, you know, what are the skills that I find multi-unit managers sometimes lack or need to develop? Uh, I would say planning an organisation is one, but the second one would be that ability to have those tough conversations. Um, yeah. uh, I always say I've never yet met a manager who regrets dealing with poor performance. What they regret is that they don't didn't deal with it earlier, they deal with it sooner. Right. Um, one of the things you said there is uh, talk about hiring better, getting the right people on board. 
Uh, my understanding from uh, Professor Duncan Dixon, who used to work at Disney, uh, I know you've had some, you worked with him too, and I, I have a connection with him at Rosen College. He used to talk about the fact that Disney, I believe, you go for a job there, you watch a little video, I think, first, that it really helps define what it's like to work here, and then a certain percentage leave at that point, they kind of self-select, actually, this isn't for me. Um, is that correct? And um, why is that important if it is true? Yeah, they've changed it a little bit. I'm not sure how they do it now, but you were correct. When I was there after we uh, uh, put you through kind of a profile of trying to figure out who you are and the right questions, then we send you over to the casting center to fill out an application. And before that, you got to watch a film. Hmm. And the film is about clarity, clarity of expectations, about being on time to work. We want to know if you have high energy, stamina. Can you be professional all day long when it's hot? raining and doing your job and be cooperative and, and uh, no visible tattoos, no visible, visible piercings, no purple hair. As I always tell people, Cinderella can't have a tattoo on her neck and Mickey can't smoke while he talks to his kids. <laughs> and it's a show we're putting on. Yep. And uh, we, that film is so clear about what we expect and how we enforce what we expect that about 20 to 25 percent of the people get up and decide they don't want to work for Disney after we're clear with them and that's what clarity does clarity of what expectations you have for their performance and that's good we want them to leave yeah I ultimately I think you guys would say that there's only two types of people there's future cast members and future guests and uh, yeah. if they're not going to work with you yeah you want them to come back and, and have a great time as a guest. Um, one of the things that you've touched upon, again, with this clarity of standards, for me, bleeds into what operational excellence is. How do you define operational excellence? Well, for us at Disney, it's obviously the guest satisfaction and our bottom line, those two things. We want, uh, we w there's three things we use for every decision. When we're about to make a decision or a policy change, we think, we ask, how's that going to affect our guests? Is this going to be good, not good? How are we going to handle that feedback? Is this going to affect our cast members? How are they going to take this change? And last, how is it going to affect the bottom line? Yeah. We call that the three-legged stool. If you don't consider all three of those things, you're going to make big X mistakes. And when you consider all those three things, you're still going to have a lot of people mad at you. But uh, still, <laughs> if you took consideration of which way to go on a certain subject. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that's how we think about getting consistency. And uh, we want everybody to be doing it the same way every day. And we want high guest satisfaction scores and repeat business. Yep. That's how we measure. And we audit a lot. I mean, we audit everything to make sure we're doing what we think we're doing. And you're never as good as you think you are. You got to really be realistic about that. You've got to go and check. You cannot just think, well, it's all wonderful out there and life is good. It's that's you're never as good as you think you are. And yeah, we uh, I mean, I don't think I've ever come across an organization that doesn't want to achieve operational excellence. It's, it's a bit of a, a no brainer, but I there's not so many that actually achieve it. And as I say, I think Disney is for me one that stands head and shoulders above the rest. Do you think it's because of the order you just described? You just said there was customer satisfaction, the guest. There is, how is it going to affect our cast members and how is it going to affect our bottom line? I can think of organizations where that would be turned on its head. And the first thing is, well, what's the financial implication? Do you think yeah. because of the order, the priority you give it, that makes the difference? Oh, absolutely. I think you've got to know, you know, first you've got to set standards of whatever you're doing and what business you're in. We have standards. 
We have standards of guest measurement, what satisfaction scores have to be at least 8.5 on a 10 point scale. And when they're not, we get after it. Um, yeah, I think most companies don't even have their own standards to judge if they're doing what they say they're going to do and balancing that against what the guests are telling them, the, cast, the customers are telling them. And um, that's really the name of the game. And then uh, hire the right people, train them, and uh, treat them right, and you're, you're going to get the right satisfaction. But right, if you don't consider all three and you always go for the bottom line, mm -hmm. you're going to drive customers away. Some are going to leave. You're going to lose them one at a time. You're not going to realize what happened. Uh, so you've got to figure out how to do it all. I mean, everything matters. And uh, You've got to learn how to do it all. You've got to do all three at the best you can. And uh, that's what makes a difference. I think some too many people just think they focus on their product. Hmm. Well, the product is important, but at the end of the day, the people who work in your company are the face of your company. They are who you are. They are your brand. Anybody can get products in, but it's how you greet people and take care of them and go all the way for them and be committed to them and follow up and pleasant and clean and friendly and all those things together. Uh, then more people want to buy that same product from you instead of somebody else. And uh, that's where people get in trouble. Yeah. It's interesting that I, I've been fortunate enough to visit Disney on several occasions and I've always had outstanding guest experiences. Um, and I've also had the opportunity of going on the Disney Cruise Line. Uh, Disney Magic and the Disney Wonder at that time. And again, the, the quality of that service absolutely blew me away on the Disney Cruise Line. And I, I didn't think it could get better than I'd experienced in a theme park, but actually I think it did, to be frank. I think it oh, absolutely. No, no question. It is so much, but in the ships, when I go on the ships, I went back to Disney and said, gosh, you know, we're not doing as good a job as we could. Look what they're doing. <laughs> they, were, they were just off the charts. Hmm. And it comes back, and I've heard you refer to in the podcast, also in your book, you talk about culture. And I think the quote is, culture is not part of the game. It is the game. Could you explain a little bit more about that for me, Lee? Well, culture and environment, you know, the environment we work in or live in, and the culture is really the name of who we are and what our company stands for. And uh, when you have a culture where people are trusted and treated right and developed and have opportunity, their opinion counts. That's a culture, just like a culture at home. When you have a good culture at home where the children feel safe, it's clean, it's people treat each other respectfully, you have better kids. I mean, it's environment and culture. In the real environment, we don't want toxicity. You don't want it to be toxic. You don't want to pollution. You don't. And in business, we don't want it to be toxic either. We don't want, you don't like this whole sexual harassment thing going on. No, you can't do that. And telling inappropriate jokes and making people feel bad and showing discrimination and bigotry. And that's all part of the environment and culture. And you got to drive that out just like you do at home. You want your kids to grow up respecting everybody. And uh, same at business. It's pretty much like parents, you know, you get what you want. Uh, if you focus on your children from the minute they're born, you got 18 years to get it right. And with you in your business, you focus on your employees from the minute they come on board and you, training and testing them and making sure they know what they're doing and showing a lot of appreciation, recognition and encouragement to them. And they'll be in a place they've never been before and they'll perform better because they're going to feel so good about how they're treated. So that's culture. I mean, that is culture. And you got to decide what culture you want and be working on it every day. 
I think that's really important. The, the, the idea of the, the time frame, and you made me think there, Aaliyah, when you talked about the family, and you've got 18 years to get it right. And I sometimes wonder in organizations that the time horizon is so short. It's so focused on this number for this week, the, the P&L for the end of the month seems a long way away type of thing. So, so other decisions can be very short term and people don't invest in culture and, and the, the mechanisms that help create that culture, training and development being one that you've mentioned. Why do you think that there is that short termism sometimes in hospitality, particularly in retail? Because well, people don't have any patience. They got public companies where there's pressure on for the bottom line and and or an owner that owns the business and is pushing you hard for that. And mm. Even I say most companies, uh, they need to get clarity around from the board of directors and how they want to run the company. And and do they have the patience to do the long term, which is getting the product right, getting the service right, the attitude, the culture right. And that leads to the bottom line. And that's all through leadership. We talk about it, you know, leadership comes first, not the, not the, not the customer. Get the leadership right. They will create an environment for the employees so they can do their job. When the employees have a, are treated that way, they take care of the guests because they want to, not because they have to. And I guarantee you, you make more money, have less turnover. Expenses are watched very carefully. Everything happens better when the people have the right culture in place. But it takes time. It'd be like raising your kids. It'd be nice if we could raise our children in one day, but we can't. It takes time. <laughs> and, uh, it takes time in a company, too. And, and companies said, gosh, it could take two or three years for me to get the culture right. And I say, yeah, I could. But two or three years is going to go by anyway, so you might as well get with it, or you're going to be worse. <laughs> so true. So true. You've... Um... You just made me think, actually, one of the books that the first book of yours that I read, The Customer Rules, um, correct, correct me if I get this wrongly, but I seem to recall you talked about customer services like gravity and it flows from the top and that leadership um, style, that leadership approach, the way in which you treat your staff to how important the importance you place on the guest satisfaction, etc. It all it all bleeds from that. It comes from the top. Well, it does. It's it's like the uh, law of gravity. It flows from the top and goes downhill. If the boss wants it, that's what's going to happen. That's what the company's going to be. If the boss is autocratic and not very happy and mean, his vice presidents are going to be that way. And then the people below him are going to be that way because people adjust to the culture they're in to survive. Yeah. So if you have a good culture, people get better. If you have a bad culture, people get worse. I mean, this is just common sense. And I mean, if you treat me like the bottom of your shoe, I'm not going to Take very, if you don't love me, I'm not going to love you very much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, it, it's a very uh, simplistic way to think about it, but simplicity is what works. It's about the people, the training, and uh, the culture. And they then the guest gets the best of everything. And, uh, yeah, it's a problem. People short-term, you get a new CEO every three years. Disney doesn't. I worked for my boss for 13 years. Michael Eisner was in place for 20 years. Bob Iger's been in place for 12 years. And everybody stays on plan. And uh, half the companies have a good uh, product strategy, but they don't have a good leadership strategy. You ask them their leadership strategy, they start stammering. They can't tell you because they don't realize it's that important. More important than the product strategy, actually. Yeah, so... 
it's interesting. I often use that kind of analogy of, of a flight plan. So your, your flight plan says where you're going to land, your, your destination. But of course, you can get blown off, off course by avoiding turbulence or whatever it may be. But what you're saying is you have a plan, you stay on that plan, even if yeah, you might get a bit of turbulence, maybe bad weather, there might be a hurricane, whatever it may be, affecting um, visitor numbers to the park. But it doesn't mean the plan gets ripped up and everyone runs around like a headless chicken not knowing what to do. It sounds as if the leadership is very clear, calm, and gets people back to the long-term plan. Well, yeah, if you know where you're going, then you know where you're going. If you don't have a destination or how you want it to look or how you want your guest repeat business to look or your satisfaction scores, you don't really have a good target. And uh, I would say that's generally the major problem. As mm -hmm. Southwest Airlines said, there's a best way to land a plane. Let's do it that way. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's do it that way. And that's what companies should be about. It's just the best way to do everything. You need to figure out what that is and then do it across the organization. And when you have a better way, then you implement it across the organization. You don't just let people go out and do whatever they want, which is what a lot of companies do. Yeah, it's one of the things, again, when I talk about operational excellence, it's that it's got to start with. You talked about clarity and the setting expectation. And I find sometimes that operational excellence is left far too open in terms of interpretation and I don't mean it has to be the very transactional dare I say the kind of McDonald's every every transaction is the same type thing um, but there has to be clear guidance about what the experience should be and if you leave it open to interpretation so guess what people are going to inter interpret it very differently uh, and you'll get very different results every time Absolutely. All the little things matter. You know, when we're driving down the highway and somebody's got to go to the bathroom, we stop at a McDonald's because we know it'll be clean. Yep. <laughs> the Every time. Then we go to the bathroom and then we buy something. You know, you got to be known for things. You got to know what your standards are. And uh, you're some places you won't want to stop and go to the bathroom. It'll scare you to death. So, uh, yeah, it's the same old story. Your reputation, everything matters. That's all I can tell you if you want to be excellent. If you want to be average, it's easy. But if you want to be excellent, everything matters. And that's, you got to get that mindset. Excellence is really a mindset. It's a way of thinking. Yeah. I think, uh, if, again, if I'm listening to this, I'm, I'm thinking about how I've heard Lee discuss what operational excellence means to Disney, and the, placing the, the guests at the heart of everything, then the cast members, then the bottom line. And, and I think that everything matters. Being, uh, never getting bored with the basics, having to have that focus, that mindset. How do you stop that daily basics from being seen as I'm getting bored with it now or I've done it so many times I don't need to refer to this checklist? How do you stop it becoming mundane? Yeah, well, I think that's true. You know, management is supposed to be mundane. It's not supposed to be exciting. Uh, we don't. Somebody said, if you want excitement, go be a race car driver. Yeah. You know, we want everything to be the way it's supposed to be and to be the same every day. We don't want fires breaking out. So the job of the management is that's where they get their satisfaction is that we have things go well. People know what they're doing. They're trained well. They do what they're supposed to do. The excitement comes from the customer being happy and excited and return business and good, strong bottom line. That's where you ought to get your excitement. And, uh, and you cannot get it without uh, good routines and good policies, procedures, and the way of doing things. And so uh, some people probably are going to be bored in management and probably maybe they don't want to do that. Maybe they want to go climb Mount Everest instead. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, business, we want it to be calm, collected, and consistent. Yeah. Almost three C's. Okay. You talked 
about training. And one of the things you said that Disney do well is firstly hire people right for the first time. The clarity there about the standards is, is absolutely paramount. And then you talked about the importance of training and developing them. Um, I noticed you tweeted about this the other day. What was the difference in your view between training and development? Yeah, and I think most people have that totally mixed up because training is really un unemotional. You know, you call a meeting to train everybody how to use the point of sale or the cash register or how to do something safely. That's training. Everybody, you can have 50 people in the room. That's training. And development is when you got to sit down one on one with people and talk to them about their behavior, how they the inappropriate comments they make, their uh, attitude, uh, being on time to work. Uh, those are developmental issues because if they keep doing those, they're going to lose their job. Training is easy. You can train people, you can test them, you can see it happens. But uh, development is just like your chick. If you have children, you know, kids are great, but there's times when you got to discipline them. You got to set them down and give them the story that's straight. And here's what's going to happen if you continue to do this. And when you say inappropriate jokes or sexually harass somebody or you don't treat people respectfully. Those are the conversations we have, which are called development. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. training doesn't get you in trouble. Development issues get you in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's that saying? You can't talk yourself out of a situation you behaved yourself into. So uh, Exactly. And look at today what's going on yeah. in this country, in your country, and everywhere around yeah. the world. It's bad behavior. Yep, yep, absolutely. So one of the things that I know you believe strongly, and, and I know Disney absolutely make this uh, come to life, is that training is not a cost. It is absolutely an investment. Why do you think there are so many organizations that don't view training as an investment and it, it's a cost? They don't even necessarily budget for training to happen. Why, why is that? Because they don't get it. <laughs> it's like you say if you had children I, that you say it's too expensive to send them to college mm. <laughs> you know i mean give me a break i mean you're going to have them living in your house for the rest of your life because they won't be able to do anything <laughs> education there's only two reasons people educate you train you it's either the only way we change in life any organization will only change through education training or they'll change through crisis yeah. Something goes, uh, somebody gets killed, uh, a recession, uh, profits are down, but uh, they just don't realize that, uh, you know, again, it's one of those basics that uh, if you don't train your people, you're not going to get consistency. You're going to frustrate the customer because they're not going to come back because nobody ever knows what they're talking about. They don't know how to execute it right. They don't fix things properly and, and it's not your fault it's not their fault it's the general manager or the ceo's fault you've got to find a way to do training it's got to be an investment not a cost mm. and that's the problem and it doesn't always have to be expensive it has to be more clear and uh we it's not that you have to spend tons of money on it but you got to have every or leader in your organization understand that every day they are training their people role modeling, walking around, speaking to people, doing one-on-ones, showing them the right way. I mean, it doesn't always have to be paying people to sit in a classroom. It's uh, just like your mother. She didn't, uh, she, she trained you and developed you without spending an extra penny. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that last point you make there about training is in the moment, it's ad hoc. 
as a, a good leader, I think seeing every opportunity as a coachable moment rather than I'll send them on a course. Um, I used to ban the words when I was in my previous role as head of learning development for a company. And I used to say, let's ban those words, send them on a course, because there's almost this idea that you send them off to the training development department. And they go through this kind of washer dryer and they come out the other side of L&D, you know, all fluffy and, uh, and knowing what they should know. And actually, there's a place for a workshop. It can introduce some new ideas. It can give people the opportunity to practice, but you don't really learn it there. You don't implement it there. It's back in the day job that you actually learn and implement it. And that's where the manager has such a, a crucial role to play. Yeah. And I think the other thing is the leadership. When you hire people, you got to tell them they are responsible for their training. The hmm. company will do some things, but if they want to get ahead, they better be paying attention, filling in the knowledge gaps, observing how people do it right taking courses, going online and reading about things. Uh, the, the business doesn't owe, owe them everything because if you don't train yourself and get yourself to be the best, you're not going to be there. And mm. the company can't always afford it, but you can afford to spend the time. And today there's no problem because the internet's there. All the knowledge mm. is at your fingertips. If you don't know something, it's your own fault. If you want to know, you can find out. And you ought to find out and start observing, go to the best places, check them out, watch, observe. Mm. You know, I said, you know, if you want to know, go to the Ritz and sit in the lobby and watch what people do. You'll learn something and uh, go to the best operations and watch how the cashier does something, how the salesperson does something. Just observe and be focused and you'll learn by watching, paying attention. And that role modeling of owning your own development, I think particularly as you start to move up in your organization and so my business focuses a lot on the multi-unit manager role, area manager, district manager, and all of that. And a lot of companies don't have a training program uh, for people to get into that role. And quite frankly, the orientation or induction is, is kind of, here's a list of your, your stores or your restaurants, here's your company car, here's a laptop or a tablet, you know, good luck. That's kind of the training program. Uh, and of course, what's scary is that people have that mentality, but you're right, there's so much out there. There's been some great books written People like yourself, Jim Sullivan is another one who comes to mind. There's a lot of resources out there that people can tap into if they take their own ownership to do it. Absolutely. One area I just want to talk about is productivity. I think that's pretty uh, important and uh, a factor that influences uh, operational excellence significantly. Um, my personal view is that productivity rarely happens by accident and that people have to make a conscious effort to be highly effective and highly productive. And I know you focus a lot of energy on the top topic of productivity and time management. Um, I know from listening to your podcast that you created a training program. There's the book around the topic of, of time management. I just wonder why is it so important to you? Why have you focused so much time on it? And if I may ask two questions, there's a lovely quote, which is most people aren't overworked, they're underorganized. Just like you to talk about that for a few minutes, if you may. Yeah, well, in the front of that book, the first quote says, if you don't take the time to plan the life you want, you're going to end up living a life you do not want. Hmm. And this is what happens to people. They don't think, sit down and think deeply, what should I be doing now? That'll pay off later. Taking care of my health taking care of my retirement, making sure I understand it, getting myself more disciplined and organized and more technical knowledge so I can be recognized as an expert, uh, dealing with aging parents and grandparents, making sure you get the documents done while they're still healthy and on and on and on. And what happens? People waste time. They just don't 
think about it every day. I think about every day what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. And even today, I, my wife said, Lee, you got three priorities. One, to take care of yourself so you can take care of us. Number two, then you can take care of your family. And then number three, take care of your business. And then number four, if you want to help Kim Kardashian with her problems, fine. But you're not going to do any of those. You're going to do the things that are important to you first. And when I was at Disney, it was the same. I made sure we were hiring the right people and promoting the right people. I made sure everybody got trained and I made sure we had a culture and environment. When I got those three things done, that was enough. And I would say the average person has no clue what they're going to work on today or tomorrow. And they're wasting time. They're working on things that don't even matter. And they're not doing the hard things. And when you don't do the hard things, life gets harder. When you do easy all the time, life gets harder. When you do the hard things, life gets easier. Mm -hmm. So for your listeners, they ought to pick one or two hard things they've been putting off for years. And next week, start working on those until they leave their life. They go away. It could be a relationship. It could be a hard discussion. It could be exercise. It could be getting your annual physical. It could be lots of hard things. But those are the most important things. Mm -hmm. And uh, just look around, see how unhealthy people are. You know, nobody takes care of themselves. That's the thing I worry about the most. I take care of myself every day. I weigh exactly what I did when I got out of high school. I do strength training twice a week so I don't fall and break a hip. I'm 74 years old now. You know, this is, uh, I know what to do to spend my time. I don't want to be dying early. My grandkids love me too much. They don't want me to go yet. <laughs> Well, uh, I got to stay around. But this is I, the kind of thing you got to think about. And when people read my book, time they get they come back to me and say, "Whoa, I, I don't." Because time goes by. I think there's three ages: you're born, you're 21, you're 50, and you're dead. I mean, it's like <laughs> there's only three birthdays, you know. Yeah. And the last minute is one you can avoid and stay healthy and eat properly and don't. It's never too late to get better. It's never too late to get healthier. It's never too late to improve a relationship. Never. It's never too late to get smarter. And it's a matter of you deciding. Nobody else. Nobody. Not your mother. Nobody else. And uh, you got to decide what you're going to do with it. You own it. You, uh, I have to tell you, I had a laugh out loud moment listening to one of your podcasts on a train. I think people must have thought I'd gone slightly insane. But uh, you were referring to this topic and I think you were talking about a lady you'd met who wanted to do more exercise, but by the time she'd finished watching all her evening TV shows, she was too tired to, uh, yeah, exactly. to exercise. So I oh was, uh, yeah, that was a good moment. I think I hear the dumbest control. excuses every day. It's like, okay, okay, great. I don't have time to stay alive, you know? Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? I mean, and uh, yeah, and that podcast, by the way, Creating Disney Magic, that's free. People can listen yep. to that. I guarantee you, one lady wrote me the other day. She's listened to all 180 of them, and she was depressed because she had finished, and she was waiting. Now she had to wait each week to get a new one. But she's <laughs> learned. When you, when you in, include yourself in your own education, you learn differently. You think differently. When you think differently, you do differently. Yep. And if you don't know, you don't know, and you got to find ways to know. So, yeah, there you go. Well, thank you, Lee. We're, we're going to be putting in our show notes for the episode. We'll put a link to the Creating Disney Magic podcast. But also for our listeners, if you go to Lee's website, again, we'll put the link in the show notes. There's more information around his books. Um, there's a free planner that you can download around time management, the daily time management planner, uh, which is great. And I think it can really get you to start thinking about what's really important to you, what's really important in your life that uh, Lee has referred to. Um, Lee, thank you so much again for taking part in today's show. 
It's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure to talk with you. And I, if you're not already subscribed, everybody, to Lee's podcast, Creating Disney Magic, with uh, his friend Jodie Mowbray, go on. It's on iTunes or wherever you get your regular podcasts, and you'll be able to subscribe. But uh, thank you again, Lee. Yes, sir. You have a great holiday. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Lee. All right. You take care. Bye now. So thanks again, Lee, for your contribution today. I'm sure everybody will have taken away a lot of top tips and insights from the episode. I think for me, there was three things that really absolutely stood out from this conversation with Lee. Um, firstly, that point that Lee made in terms of how Disney does operational excellence better. Hire them right, train them right, and treat them right. And we hear so often about you know, spending time, making sure you select the right people. I think what was interesting was the emphasis Lee placed on the clarity around the role, clarity around the performance standards and expectations that people are supposed to meet. And then, of course, you, you train them and you keep training them and you test them as well. There's this emphasis on treating them right and the culture and his quote that culture is not part of the game, it is the game. And you really have to think about the kind of culture you want and then actually do things that work towards it every single day. Uh, that linked in to me to this idea of, you know, companies have a product or a marketing strategy. When you ask them if they have a leadership strategy, they become far less articulate and clear about what it is they're actually trying to achieve and therefore not so clear on how they're actually going to achieve it. Secondly, that things around the questions we consider in the order. So how will it affect our guests, our customers? How's it going to affect the impact upon our people? And lastly, what's the financial impact of this decision? As I said in the interview, I think too often uh, that order is completely the other way around. And the third thing, really, again, a message we hear so often, if you want to be excellent, excellence is very much a mindset. And you have to take on board that everything matters. And you have to accept that a level of wanting to be brilliant at the basics, as Jim Sullivan talks about, may seem mundane, but you've got to be uh, accepting of that because excellence is about ensuring that mundane is happening day in, day out. The excitement comes from the guest and the customer having a great uh, experience. So they were my highlights. Uh, clearly, Lee is passionate about what he does. He's certainly passionate about planning uh, in terms of planning to develop yourself, planning the life you want. And if you don't plan that, someone else is going to plan it for you and you end up living the life that you don't want. A good message, I think, for all of us. Thank you again, as ever, for listening to today's episode of uh, the Multi-Type Masters. Lee's details are in the show notes, so please don't hesitate to drop him a note, contact him via LinkedIn, and absolutely do follow him on his own uh, podcast show, Creating Disney Magic. If you get a chance, please do share this episode with your friends and colleagues, and as ever, if you get the opportunity to rate it on iTunes or SoundCloud, we'd be very appreciative. Until next time, take care. <laughs>